0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price." Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David, See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lately, it's been hard to escape the topic of money. Fears over the rise in inflation. Are these higher prices for food and gas and other staples permanent? Or just a pandemic and supply chain-related blip? Conflict in Congress over raising the debt ceiling and endless debates over how we're going to pay for government programs we've already passed and those that politicians are proposing for the future. Reports of the rising costs of housing and healthcare and education, including one this week that reported that 38% of American households are facing serious financial problems. And that's after billions of dollars distributed in relief funds. Money, it seems, is a human obsession. No matter how much we might try to moderate our fixation on it or our anxiety about it, an awareness of money, whether it's how well our money is making money or how little money is in our bank accounts, that awareness runs in the backgrounds of most of our minds like ambient noise until something breaks through the noise and makes us think again, not just about money, but about our relationship to it. The author and philanthropic critic Edgar Villanueva writes, Money is a tool to reflect the obligations people develop to one another as they interact. Money is a tool to reflect the obligations people develop to one another as they interact. Let's unpack that. Money is a tool. That means it's not inherently good or bad, but it is useful, the way a tool is useful. Money allows us to do things we wouldn't be able to do without it to acquire things, have experiences, and support people, businesses, organizations. But like a tool, money does not exist on its own. It's like a hammer that needs a nail. Money is useful for what it allows us to do or to leverage. In Villanueva's definition, its use is to resolve obligations that develop between people. Here's an example. I go to a restaurant and order a meal. An obligation develops that in exchange for the food I get, I will give money. The money pays for the raw materials of my meal, as well as the labor for the people who prepared it and served it. And it pays for a portion of all the other costs of operating a restaurant. Which brings us to the final part of Villanueva's definition, money reflects obligations between people that arise as we interact. It is our human interactions that create the obligations money is used to satisfy. Interactions between customers and business owners or service providers, between buyers and sellers. Now, sometimes those interactions are really clear when we hand over cash or a check or a credit card to a real live person who has provided us with something. But these days, we often exchange money from a distance. We never even see the person we're giving or receiving something from. Villanueva's definition reminds us that every financial exchange represents human beings human beings who are interacting, if not directly interacting in some way. Money is a tool, a necessary one, for navigating human life and managing our obligations and relationships to others. Now, this definition might offer us a new way to think about money, but it maintains a fairly standard understanding of economics. Not so much today's words from the prophet Isaiah. He presents a whole different economic vision. The context of this passage is the Babylonian exile, when God's people spent 50 years as refugees in the land of their worst enemy. At the point when the prophet was writing, the return home was in sight. The political landscape was shifting, and it's becoming clear that soon the people will be able to return to their homeland. In this moment, for these people who've experienced such struggle and suffering, the prophet paints a vision of a whole new future, one dominated not by the shadow of trauma and oppression, but rather by God's outrageous abundance. The passage begins with this Hebrew term, ho, which is a call to attention. The prophet wants the people to sit up and listen to him, to let this vision capture their imaginations. He begins by addressing everyone who thirsts. And since there isn't a human being who doesn't thirst, that's a pretty big audience. But then he narrows it down to you who have no money. It's a little harder for our modern ears to understand because our global economy runs on money. Even the poor have money, just less of it, relatively speaking. But the rise of hard currency was just beginning at this point in the 5th century BCE when coins were becoming more common in the imperial economy. But as this transition was taking place, there were still a lot of people who exchanged goods through the barter system, a system also built on human interactions and obligations and which relied on relationships of trust. Because of this transition, most people did not yet have or use money, the silver coins, the profit references, and we can imagine they were wary of this new kind of economy. The same way some of us might be confused or skeptical or intrigued by cryptocurrency. The prophet is speaking here to peasants, those with little political or economic power. He wants them to know they are included in God's abundant, joyful future. A future in which everyone will be able to participate in labor that satisfies and food that delights. In just the first three sentences, the prophet uses 12 imperatives, inviting the people to participate in this new reality. Come, come, buy, eat, come, buy, listen, eat, delight, incline, come, listen. Come to the waters, you that have no money, come, buy, and eat, buy wine and milk without money and without price. These are people overwhelmed by hardship and loss. They've spent 50 years trying to create a new life in a foreign land. Whether wine and milk were considered luxuries or staples, the prospect of acquiring them at no cost... Well, that was as unimaginable to our ancestors in exile as it would be for us today to go into Publix or Target or Kroger and take whatever we wanted off the shelves and just walk out without settling our obligations through a financial exchange. The very idea is absurd. And yet, have you heard of mad RVA? MAD-RVA stands for Mutual Aid Distribution Richmond, and it formed in the winter of 2018 to provide Richmonders experiencing homelessness coats and socks to get through the winter. During the pandemic, MAD-RVA reorganized to help those impacted the most. Over the last year and a half, the needs have only grown, but they are needs that existed long before COVID. The vision MAD-RVA has now is to open a physical store in which all the inventory is available free of charge, provided through donations and volunteers. The store will be open to anyone in need, and people don't have to prove their need. If they say they need it, they can have it. Yaya O'Galdez, a mad RVA volunteer, describes the vision this way, "'My dream is to have shelving set up that has a lot of essentials, canned goods, pasta, cold items, snacks for kids, a place where people can come and have a bit more autonomy over their choices.'" O'Galdez envisions the store operating like any other grocery store, shelves stocked with food, people walking through making choices, about what they will take home for their families to eat. The difference, of course, is that Mad RVA has removed the obligation part of the equation. At their store, there will be buying, but without money. Human interaction as a response to human need. It sounds mad, doesn't it? And yet, on the cusp of a new future, this is the vision Isaiah paints. Come to the waters, the source of life and nourishment, and for us, the sign and symbol of baptism, our identity as God's beloved. Come to eat and drink and be filled, says the prophet, with no obligation to pay. This, Isaiah says, is what will set the people of God apart. This is what will attract new nations and new people to come and see what this outrageously generous God is all about. As many of you know, we've been trying some new things as we make our way back to the future this fall. We have a new schedule of Sunday evening faith formation and worship. It's been such a joy to gather on the playground with the children and to celebrate a multi-generational worship with communion every week under the tent, followed by a delicious meal from Chef Jason. So far, it's going great. A couple of Sundays, we've had as many people here in the evenings as we're here in the sanctuary for morning worship. But every Sunday after worship, as I'm walking around the tent greeting people and encouraging them to go get one of Chef Jason's meals, I keep having this same exchange. Someone invariably says to me, oh, oh no, we're not going to stay to eat. We didn't register for a meal, and we didn't pay. To which I respond, well, that doesn't mean you can't eat. We didn't ask anyone to register. And You can pay whatever you want, including nothing. This meal is about community. It's about fellowship. It's about interacting with one another. It's a chance to enjoy a meal you didn't have to prepare. It's without obligation. Every single time I say this, I am met with a blank look as if the words I said didn't make any sense, which makes me think this is not the usual way we do things at FPC. We are a conscientious bunch, ever attuned to and wanting to resolve our obligations, perhaps especially our financial obligations. And we are more comfortable When there is an invoice that shows us a definite amount that will settle our obligations, whether that invoice comes from our children's school for tuition, from the country club for dues, or from the utility company for our bill. It's easier, isn't it, when the terms of an obligation are made clear and when we can resolve it by writing a check or paying an amount online. We don't quite know what to do when the church or any other organization says you decide what to give for a Sunday evening meal or for your annual giving, even if what you decide is to give nothing. It's almost as if we believe here that the amount of money you have and the amount of money you give doesn't change the amount of love God has for you. I suspect it was just as difficult then as it is for us now to grasp Isaiah's exhortation to buy wine and milk without money, to receive God's love and care with no obligation in return. Then, as now, this vision of an abundant future was hard to grasp, because it is so different from the economy that runs on concepts of obligation and debts owed, of value and worth. But God's economy is indeed altogether different. The foundation of God's economy is relationships, relationships that arise through interactions between people and between people and God. Isaiah envisions nations running to God's people to be a part of what they are a part of, which is nothing less than the flow of God's unconditional love and grace. For in God's economy, it is love, not money, that resolves the obligations people develop to one another as we interact Jesus made this point many times in many different ways. It is not about rules or calculations, he kept saying. It's about love and mercy, freely given and freely received. And so the church is where we get to practice living in this economy that runs on love, not money. And yes... It can be a little hard to get our heads around, but one of the ways we practice being the church and following Jesus is by giving away our money to the church. This is in part because the church exists, for better or worse, in the economy of the world. We have obligations to our employees, our outreach partners, our creditors. But that isn't why we give to the church. You may have noticed that in this year's stewardship campaign, we have not shared our 2022 asking budget or even a specific monetary goal, even though we have both. This is because the session and finance committee made an intentional decision this year to put less of an emphasis on how congregational giving impacts the budget. Because even though it is our giving that enables the church to do everything we do, we don't ask you to give to fund the budget. We give to participate in God's economy where there are no obligations, where our giving and receiving are, as Isaiah says, without money and without price. Giving to the church is an opportunity, not an obligation. Like Isaiah's invitation to God's abundant future, stewardship is an invitation to us to practice loving with abandon, living in God's economy, giving with no expectation of receiving, buying without money. Because in God's economy, we already have everything we need. We have each other. We have all these human interactions, building relationships of love and trust. And what holds it all together is not money, but the abundant, unaccountable, extraordinary love of God. And there is always enough of that to go around. Thanks be to God. Amen.